learning how to run that business. You know, I coached and then I learned how to run a business and I took a lot of those same principles and now apply it to my job currently at the University of Michigan as a head coach. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Change My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is the great Sean Bormet, head coach at Michigan, where he led the Wolverines to a Big Ten title and an NCAA runner-up finish in 2022. Before coaching at Michigan, Coach Bormet founded and coached at the Overtime School Wrestling, one of the first academies in the country. As a wrestler, he was a two-time All-American at Michigan and was a state champion back in Illinois in the 80s. Love having Coach Bormet on the show and hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Joe Drennan from Knoxville, Tennessee, a graduate of the University of Tennessee. He currently works in SAS and is a listener of this podcast. Thank you so much, Joe. We appreciate it. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for Sean Bormet. Sean Bormet, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Great to see you. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you on. It's been since September, uh, I was just looking here, September 2019, and whole lot's happened since then for you guys and for your family and just for wrestling, so I'm so excited to have you on. Let's just start, though. We just came out of Fargo, you know, a massive, massive event for, for all the high school kids. How many times did you scrap in Fargo back in high school? Well, when you say back in high school... We're talking pre-Fargo, so it wasn't really Fargo. It was uh, it was in Cedar Falls, Iowa, the Unidome back then. And uh, I went three times. I went my sophomore, my junior, my senior season. Uh, my sophomore year was really my first year wrestling freestyle. And I don't, you know, the, the cadet tournament wasn't a thing back then. It was, uh, I think it was like just starting. It was like a different weekend. So pretty much everyone was in one bracket, you know, Cadet juniors, it was just one bracket. So the brackets were huge. I think there were over 150 wrestlers in my bracket the first year when I was a sophomore. And then, um, but it was a great tournament. I, I really loved it and uh, really enjoyed competing in that tournament every year and uh, enjoy going back now. I mean, obviously, all the years I was running overtime and coaching in Fargo and just a lot of great memories of that, uh, that tournament. So when you were wrestling, it was only one tournament, there wasn't really the 16 new breakout. No, not, I, you know, I wasn't aware 
if they had a, a cadet division or a 16U division, uh, some of the, you know, we talk about this sometimes in, in conversations that comes up and, and many people say that there was a division. It just was a different weekend at a different location. Um, but pretty much everybody went to the junior, it was just called junior nationals and everybody went that was, you know, basically cadet or junior now. Yeah. And uh, so it was like, uh, it, you know, it was just great because the best wrestlers at both age groups were all in one bracket. Yeah, and you you talk about overtime. I can't imagine how many weeks you spent there, all the years coaching there. And that's full yeah. duty there, right? Those are long days. Yeah, long, long, long days and uh, a lot of matches, and you know, just. Uh, but it was great to be a part of. I mean, we had we had built up such a you know strong freestyle and Greco you know program in the state of Illinois back then, and so many wrestlers competing, and we had just such great uh, great coaches, and you know, and just. Uh, that what it takes operationally to keep stay organized and i remember walking around and, and jim constantine would you know he'd bring all the really good mo motorola walkie talkies you know this is like before track wrestling would really send out those notifications of where wrestlers were at on mats and you know we were running around you know with these walkie talkies letting everybody know where the next match is up and trying to try and stay on top of all the athletes we're in charge of but just a lot of you know a lot of special athletes a lot of special coaches and uh definitely some great memories who were some of the, I'm trying to think. So you started overtime in 01. And so you would have been going to Fargo all throughout the 2000s. So who were some of the, the Illinois freaks back then? Like, was it Benefield winning a bunch? I mean, who, who won a couple that you remember back then? Yeah. I mean, Tannenbaum, Tannenbaum really started, uh, you know, kick it off winning, you know, a lot of titles, freestyle and Greco, you know, and then Benefield, you know, he, he, he won a lot. I mean, we, we had some exceptional, you know, wrestlers and that was, you know, with the Dardanes and, and John Morrison and Conrad Poles and Andrew Howe. And I mean, it was just, uh, you know, just a tremendous group uh, back then. And, you know, so many good kids, so many All-Americans, so many, so many national champs. And, um, you know, it was just fun to see the growth in, in Illinois freestyle and Greco uh, over those years. I was in Illinois and running overtime and, and uh, really great to see that success continuing to build and just how much pride uh, is a state. Illinois has in the freestyle Greco uh, season. Yeah. Even, even though we didn't win Fargo and freestyle this year, hats off to PA um, the junior duels, good showing. And I did, I did see Illinois had a lot of good guys to not go to Fargo for one reason or another, but um, yeah, now it's just a, you know, Fargo week comes to mind and yeah, I I've read about you going out there and obviously coaching. And so I was just, uh, I'm sure it brings up a lot of memories that week. And I don't, I, I, I doubt you got to go this year given the, the Poland trip, but uh, yeah, definitely a, a big week for wrestling. And it, it kind of, it's crazy. One of the things I wrote down is if I'm a recruit, if I'm a guy, I have a lot of parents listening to the podcast, there's a lot of tournaments to go to now, right? There's, there's yeah. the, there's super 32. There's obviously that, um, you know, the UWW cadet tournaments, like insane. So when you're a coach looking at all this, is there one you look at? Uh, if we're talking strictly wrestling performance, not the character stuff, how do you navigate that as a parent? Yeah, I think I think as a parent, I mean, obviously there are so many events and you just, you know, you can't do all of them. I think, um, you know, and the kids, you know, we, we obviously love to recruit kids that just really love to compete and compete at a high level. But you really, it's, you know, it's difficult to compete and train and develop and, and do everything. There's just so much out there right now. So I think, you know, I think it's a matter of preference. You know, some of it's geographical location. You know, I think obviously we have a lot of kids now, you know, with 
16U and 20U uh, world championships, kids, you know, really targeting to make those teams and, and, you know, start competing on the world stage. And that I think takes, uh, you know, the top priority for some of those kids when they make those teams and, and some of those kids based on when that tournament is uh, may, may forego their opportunity to go wrestling Fargo. And it makes sense. I think Fargo is just a, it's, it's a great tournament in terms of, you know, really seeing a lot of kids from different States measure, you know, from a, a competitive standpoint, you know, uh, measure themselves and test themselves. But there's so many great tournaments and great events. It's, you know, it's hard. So we don't really, I don't think we're really attached to one or another. We try to evaluate a lot of the best tournaments. And, you know, and then obviously we're watching kids, you know, folk style events. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even in Fargo, you know, it's a tournament where you got to, you know, you got to really pay attention and watch how kids are scoring, how kids are winning. You know, kids, obviously we're looking for kids that love to compete, but you know, we're also looking at, you know, what, what parts of the freestyle will transition to their folk style wrestling and, you know, their success uh, on the collegiate mat. So, you know, there's just, there's so many events. And even when I was, um, you know, when I was coaching in Illinois and running overtime, you know, we'd kind of pay attention as a staff a little bit and look at match count. Cause back then it was like the duels in Fargo were really close together. And obviously we had a really competitive state and we had a lot of the top kids that were, you know, really trying to be recruited to wrestle freestyle and Greco on the dual team, sometimes cadet and junior, and then wrestle in Fargo freestyle and Greco. And when you start looking at that, if they do cadet duels and junior duels, freestyle and Greco, you know, we're talking, you know, easily 20 to 30 matches and and possibly another, you know, another 20 matches in, in Fargo and, you know, 50 matches in three, four weeks is a lot of matches and a lot of those are high level, very tough matches. So, you know, we would kind of pay attention to some of that match count. And I think the toughest kids can, you know, the toughest kids can challenge themselves and get through those no problem in that one summer. But, you know, sometimes that effect starts to show up four or five years later, especially when they're, when they're at the college level. So, you know, I think it's just good to be mindful, try to hit, you know, the most competitive events that you can, but just realize you, you can't do all of them. There's just so many events now. So you were looking at match counts even back in the early 2000s. Yeah. Wow. And yep. it's only grown exponentially since then, the amount of times these kids can wrestle. Yeah. And and big events, you know, they're being, you know, who's number one, Super 32. I mean, there's just a lot, there's a lot of great marquee events. And, you know, and I think these kids that are just, you know, just, tremendous competitors they 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 don't want to miss out on opportunities they love to compete in everything and, mm-hmm. and that's a great you know that's 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 great it's just i think you got to pay attention to you know make sure that you get you know just a, a fair amount of recovery in there so your your body's staying healthy and growing optimally and, and you're you know you're looking at the the big picture as well not just your you know high school career that one year but you know plan out all, all four years and a, a collegiate career and you know, all the wrestling you want to do later also. So, you know, I think uh, you can definitely do a high volume and, and be strategic about how you do it and just make sure that, you know, in between you're planning enough time for, you know, for development and, and you know, working on new skills and building up your body and letting your body grow. Because sometimes, you know, when you're looking at a whole calendar year and you're looking at all those, those marquee events and if you're trying to stay at the same way while you're also growing, you know, it can be a little bit of a challenge. So there's there's a lot to look at and a lot to balance, especially when you're talking about the the top performers. Yeah, that that growth spurt thing is big. I mean, 
the one year I went to Fargo, I did 103. Then I went down to 98 for that summer. But that summer, <laughs> I had a growth spurt. And uh, yeah, like 4th of July, I was weighing like 116. I just went home to my mom and started crying. I'm like, I'm never going to make it. And I made it. Yeah. But it's like that happens all the time, you know? And like, yeah. you think about those kids at the uh, the UWW cadet tournament in Vegas. Yeah. That world isn't until what, like July, August? Like to hold that yeah. weight. And that tournament's so tough that those kids do have to cut quite a bit. And it's like that tournament might, you know, it's not bigger than Fargo, but man, they're doing it like two days. I feel like Fargo is like over a week. So that tournament has yeah. just exploded. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. And you do have to look at that. You know, if you, if you have to cut a ton of weight to get down to that, that qualifying tournament in April, end of April, and then you hit a growth spurt again in May, June, July, you know, getting down to that weight in early August is going to be a significant challenge. So they're just, you know, there's a lot you have to kind of monitor and manage, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, obviously, all of us college coaches love kids that just love to compete and, and, and test themselves. and Don't shy away from competition. But, yeah. you know, it's definitely it's definitely clear that, you know, with, with so many marquee events we have nowadays, you, you just can't do them all. And you got to pick the ones that are most important to you that year. You know, what's so unique is that, you know, if we're the number one or two country in the world, Russia is definitely number one, whether they're competing or not. They do the exact opposite approach. Like it would be so rare for an elite 16 year old in Russia to have 50 matches in three weeks. Like that would be unheard of. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. But they're not, you know, they're not really, it's just a different system because they're not, they're not preparing and developing with a, a focus on a college, you know, a college career and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, being at a really high level by the time they're, you know, junior, senior in high school, so they can, you know, land on a division one program and possibly earn a scholarship and, you know, and do all these things. So it's just a different system. And, you know, some of our, you know, some of our focus and some of our goals in the United States with, with the collegiate level, you know, they just start a lot earlier and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's a big part of it. And, you know, and I do think our system is, is really good. I mean, look how many kids get to compete at a high level in this country. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and go, go on to college and earn degrees. And, you know, and then when wrestling ends, they're set up uh, to, to do things and, and be really successful professionally. And, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with some of the, you know, coaches from other countries. And, and that one part that we have with our collegiate system, they all feel is, uh, is just exceptional. They love it. They all look, look at it. And yeah, I mean, cause I think they see the, the benefit of, all of it, not just the wrestling, you know, what it does for them, how it puts them on a, an academic track and how it puts them in position to have, you know, great careers uh, after wrestling. And, you know, and that's one piece that, um, you know, that, you know, the top, top wrestlers in some of those foreign countries, you know, they make some money through their wrestling, but that's a small percentage when you look at the, the total number of wrestlers competing in those countries. So mm -hmm. I think there's this, you know, our collegiate system here in the United States adds so much value to the sport. And uh, for what it does for kids, you know, on and off the mat and, and later in life. Well, like, you know, better than anyone and you see guys every year they're coming through. It doesn't take long until you you're in your mid 20s and you're settling into your business career or whatever it is. And you're like, man, that Michigan degree is coming in handy or that Michigan alumni network's coming in handy. It's like that all starts to pay off very soon. And because, you know, these kids, they they don't think past 23, I'm sure. At least I did not And no. it, it doesn't take long, though, for that to come into play and. You know, what's interesting for you, Coach, is your daughter is actually an elite college athlete herself, right? What what's uh, what grade is she in? How is she doing in college? 
She's doing great. So she just finished her freshman year. Uh, she plays field hockey here at Michigan. Just finished her freshman season. She redshirted. Um, had a great a great season of uh, development. They had a great team. A lot of a lot of veteran leaders and some great international players. Uh, they won a Big Ten championship. So you know it's a lot of valuable wow. experience. She she really loved it and and um, loves being at school here. Uh, loves you know having the balance of being you know at Michigan, but also you know being being close by with family and having a good support system here. Um, and she's getting ready for year two. Their preseason starts early August, so you know she's been doing just some you know just some kind of building up her conditioning a little bit and, and getting herself prepared for their uh, their preseason to start. Because you know it was interesting for me because wrestling we always you know we start our preseason, but they don't start competing till November. You know and and for her last year, it was it was to watch a to closely watch a, a fall sport and see how fast those kids have to hit the ground running. They start preseason in you know early August and they're competing by the third weekend of August, and then they're starting school and then they're full swing into their season. So it's it's a it's a very a very fast paced fall for you know for the field hockey team. Do you think wrestling's preseason's too long when you looked at that? So I feel like ours is um, like August to like November. Yeah, I mean, I think it's how each team. I think how each team manages and applies what they do in that preseason. I think it, you know, it could be long. Yeah, you know, I think how you how you structure it and the kind of things you do with your team, I think, are really important. Um, you know, because there's obviously you get a lot of time for preparation and you know, um, and just development. So I think how you manage that's really important. Um, but you know, I think in November starting our sport, I like how we structure our season, how we structure everything. Um, I, I, you know, I know there's a lot of conversation. I know heading down to the convention, that's one of the big, that's one of the big topics is, you know, are we going to look at changing our season schedule and when we have it and try to get it to a one semester sport. And, you know, that's been a topic seems like for a long time, you know, over a decade, um, there was a lot of conversation and movement up until we kind of hit the COVID pause and then. You know, I think now we're at a point that that needs to be resumed and, and reevaluated because there's there's a timing to getting something like that switched around because there's already so many NCAA tournaments already built out. And before that next series gets built out, you know, there's there's got to be a decision that we're going to you know, either make a change or we're not. You think it's because like the dual meets don't consistently have the all the starters and so we want that or or what's the what's the kind of end goal of of changing this semester? Cuz I don't know any other sport that has a one semester sport right yeah like you know there's a lot of sports like you know field hockey you know sports like that's a one semester sport they're, they're finished and they said one semester you know they start okay, in yeah, august yeah, they they, yeah. they finish in november and they're, that's it that's you know? it yeah and there's several sports like that i think with you know with wrestling i think you know i think that the concept really is to sh you know shorten the season make it more meaningful um and then also part of that strategy is also to see if it can be maneuvered in a favorable way uh, around final four basketball. Yeah. Um, so that we're not, you know, competing for as much media at that same time. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think another, another, you know, big part of that equation is if yeah. we can successfully do that. And then we're, you know, we're also then, you know, on the other side, we're working around, you know, the positioning of the U.S. you know nationals, U.S. World Team trials, U.S. Olympic trials, because that stuff happens uh, a lot of times in April, early May, and the timing of how that would fall right after the college season if we move it. You know, I think 
just having a unified season with, you know, uh, an opportunity for enough tournaments, but then also a significant uh, chunk for your dual meet season. And, you know, so there's, there are a lot of variables. It's not an, it's not an easy formula, uh, but it's, it's definitely good to have a lot of, you know, we're having some good conversation about it. You know, I think, yeah, I think people are split on whether it's, it would be a good thing or, or not. Yeah, and I guess what I meant when I said there's no single sport, I guess what I meant was winter sports. Like, I don't know. It's interesting because, like, you know, there's the fall, the winter, the spring, right? So where would that put us? Would we go – I don't I don't think we would go fall. So I'm guessing spring, you know, January, yeah. Feb, and do conference in March, the Nationals in April. And then, yeah, you're talking U.S. Open, you're talking World Team Trials, all that stuff. But, yeah, it's exciting. I think there's a yeah. – I think in general there's a lot going right with college wrestling. You know, the, yeah. uh, I, I really do. Like, I, I think there was, um, I think people saw some of the ratings come out after this year's nationals and hit a little bit of panic button. But I think the reality is that in general attendance for dual meets is up, right? I feel like everywhere you look, yeah. people are setting dual meet records. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff going on with it. The talent level is so high. It's crazy. I mean, even like some of these, you get to the NCAA tournament, the guys 20 through 30, like you're no one guys in that seating, you know. So there's a lot of good depth. I, I I'm a little apprehensive on the on the takedown rule. I feel like I heard someone say this, and uh, it's like, well, at this point, it's like when another a, a president from another a party gets in, you got to back them. So like now I'm back in the three point takedown. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm just curious, Coach. I got to get your thoughts. This is big for us. What are your What are your thoughts on the three point takedown? Yeah. So my initial, my initial, you know, obviously. You know, whatever the rules are, we're going to get excited about them. We're going to start working to, you know, find strategies and, and ways to win and capitalize on the rules. But my initial, my initial feeling was I, I didn't think it was great. You know, I really didn't think the three point takedown is great. And I heard a lot of the, you know, a lot of the reasoning behind it and the thought process. And, you know, and I just, I don't know if I am in agreement with it only from a standpoint, like, you know, one of the big things was they wanted, and I, the, the intention of trying to create, you know, more exciting wrestling or more scoring, um, you know, that's a great intention. I, I totally agree with that. And we should always be, you know, focusing on how to, how to enhance our sport that way. I just don't know if the three-point takedown necessarily is going to do that because, you know, there's a lot of ways that that three-point takedown can be managed, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, one, you know, wrestlers a significant chunk of wrestlers when they're competing they're constantly also measuring risk and uh, that risk to go get that three-point takedown could also mean you give up a three-point takedown depending on the score of a match you know i don't know if that's the way they're going to be thinking i think the other thing that's i think significant is when you think about exciting matches more scoring isn't always the most exciting part of wrestling competitive matches are the most exciting part now, competitive high-scoring matches are the best, but just because there's a lot of scoring doesn't mean it's necessarily more exciting. You know, a lot of the argument was that, you know, the, the two-to-one exchange ratio sometimes, you know, allowed somebody to give up, you know, three takedowns, get their escapes, come back, get a takedown, and, and now you're in a, a you know, one-point match or a tied match when, you know, that effort to get those three takedowns was, you know, not not – as high or as higher than what the escape value should be. And I, I totally get that, but there's also, you know, there's also an excitement about watching a match like that unfold where you see that guy coming back and you see that score and you can see the, 
the psychological impacts of that scoring and the match tightening up and, you know, and the opportunity for a guy to come back and win that match. And, you know, that match might be nine to three. And psychologically, we'll see how that plays out, you know, in terms of competitiveness. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, overall, sometimes you got to you got to you got to evaluate what you're really trying to accomplish. And are these rule changes really going to accomplish that? You know, and I do think there'll be obviously there's going to be some new stuff this first season. that will be really exciting. But, you know, you think about a you think about a seven point takedown, you know, like obviously, you know, yeah, scores would be up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and a lot of the back points come off transition. You know, when you talk about really competitive guys, high level wrestlers, more evenly matched guys, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the back points come off transitions from takedowns. And, and uh, so, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of teams, you know, I think working on, on, on transitions, seven point takedown, you're in, you're in good shape, you know, and you know, you got, <laughs> six point reversals and you know uh yeah so there's a lot you know I, I i think there were some other changes that were key i i, I like that they took out that hand touch that quick hand touch takedown because i think that created a lot of it, it you know i think it, it created some scenarios where there wasn't true control and it also created some scenarios where and we had one of these scenarios at the ncaa tournament where we got a hand touch takedown and, and it, you know it was kind of a questionable touch that gave us the takedown uh and then we ended up finishing and getting control but that hand touch got reviewed and they took the takedown away when ultimately you know we ended up getting the takedown after the hand touch and yeah. i think that part makes it a little complicated with the officials and for the review so i i do think an emphasis of getting full control is, is a good change and you know the near fall piece two three four i'm whatever that on might, that one yeah. yeah i think it's uh I just think it, you know, I just, I hope we don't get in a scenario where, you know, everyone's challenging how fast the guy was down counting because it's going to create a lot of, a lot of quick decisions and, and the counts uh, where, you know, that point's going to make a difference uh, or could make a difference in some tight, some tight situations. Um, and we got the ankle, you know, the emphasis on the ankle grasp and, um, you know, the, the emphasis on really working towards near fall, you know, there's some language in there about, you know, a significant, emphasis on you know the top wrestler working for near fall which will be interesting to see how that's really applied you know from an officiating standpoint i'm not really sure you know and some of that will be talked about this weekend at the, at the convention so i'm kind of kind of excited about that rules meeting and just kind of talk with uh, the other coaches here from some of these you know the officials and how some of this stuff's going to really be interpreted because i think ultimately for you know instead of having to change a lot of these rules, I think ultimately if we can do a better job developing our officials to just actually call stalling in matches mm. and call it with, call it with more consistency throughout the seven minutes, you know, cause I think a lot of times we see inconsistency where they start to just call towards the end of a, end of a match or, you know, down to that last period, you know, more consistent application of just true stalling in matches um, would take care of a lot of these things. And, it's funny because I, you know, I talk with you know some of the officials, and obviously, you know, we got some great officials that, you know, also are really invested in seeing the sport of wrestling continue to, um, you know, excel and and continue to improve. And I have conversations with them about some of these things, like what you know, like in in these matches, like why why aren't there more stalling? Why aren't you just calling true stalling? It doesn't have to be just out of bounds, you know, or when they're grabbing the ankle for five seconds. Like we can still just call stalling at any point during a match in the middle of the circle. And, you know, and their, their answer sometimes is, uh, 
we don't want to get involved in the match. And I said, well, I understand that. But when you don't call stalling, you're also getting involved in the match. Like you're involved in the match on both sides of that. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting year for sure. A lot of big changes and uh, the three point takedown, I think uh, still a question mark. It's, it's cosmetic. It's not like, like I get down <laughs> to this. It's like, there's a difference between more scoring sequences versus a bigger end score, right? We, we all want to see more attempts, more takedowns. I think this may actually de-incentivize action because you're sitting on a bigger lead now. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah. you hit on one that's really important is somehow, unbeknownst to me, or I think to many wrestling fans, up until this year, the top man did not have to be working for a pin which to me is is insanity. I can't believe that was the rule, but it was the rule, right? So that's why we saw, I think in general, most fans would just say the boring part of college wrestling is riding with no turn. Can we get less of that and more on the feet action? That's just the general general vibe, right? Everyone hates watching a two-minute ride out. At least I do. So the new rule on, yeah, now you have to work for a pin. Hopefully that just encourages the ref to call more top stalling. We can be done with that. Do you think, though, we should have added a push-out point, or is that getting too freestyle? Um, you know, I, I personally, I think there's some valid points about the push-out point. I personally, I personally don't think it would be great for college wrestling. Much as I love freestyle, um, I just, I don't think it would be great for college wrestling. I think there's still a lot of exciting action on the edge of the mat. I think, uh, you know there's a huge incentive for us to work and finish takedowns and get scores in college wrestling. And some of that starts to go away with the push out. Um, what would the grounding you know, look like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so, or, or even like, you know, you know, if I take you down, you get to your feet and we're towards the edge of the mat and you turn around and escape and I just push you out. I mean, it's right. You know, there's some weird little scenarios with the bottom, the mat wrestling that would come into play that I, I, I just think it would be hard to manage. And I mm -hmm. think it could be a little confusing um you know for fans i i you know i think it works really well in freestyle you know I, I think it's gotten a lot better too i think it took you know several years to get to the point where it's at now because i think early on when that rule first changed i know even when we were training i mean there was a lot of you know if you couldn't finish your takedown fairly quickly it was just push the guy out and then get back and keep wrestling you know mm -hmm. um you know so i just i don't i don't necessarily think that would be great for for folks down. Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, I've yet to ask a college coach that and then advocate that, which is, which is totally yeah. fair. I think this year with, with freestyle rules, the way they're calling the caution of one, it's really leaving a sour taste in my mouth and it's really putting yeah. a lot of muck to the whole push out. And yeah. it just, it sucks because it's, it, some of the times they call it, it's, it's clearly the guy's not trying to evade. He's just defending, you know? So that's, yeah, that's something where we've tinkered too much. I feel like I hate that new rule. Yeah, I agree. And it, because it puts a, it puts a powerful point in the ref's hands and in the ref's mind and, uh, you know, and it can change the outcome of a match pretty quickly, especially towards the end. Yeah. Um, where you, you know, freestyle, especially where you see that, uh, you know, a tight match where a guy's hand fighting hard and the other guy's trying to score and you got 10, 15 seconds. You're just trying to, you're trying to just control a guy and shut him down, you know, and, and, and stay in that center. But, you know, these things happen and, and it can definitely change the outcome of the match. And, yeah. You know, and that, and those are some of the reasons, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, shouldn't we just move college wrestling to freestyle? And, no. and I definitely don't agree with that philosophy because, 
if you look back historically at some of the rules we went through, you know, over a couple a couple different Olympic uh, cycles with the ball grab and all these, I mean, can you imagine college wrestling turning into those rules? Like the, the thing I like the most about collegiate wrestling is, and why I think we're having so much success is we've, you know, we've had great rules. We've had consistent rules and we control our rules. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some of these things that, uh, you know, UWW has done, with those rules, you know, several Olympic quads ago, you know, those were just really bad wrestling rules. And it really, it really affected the fan base and in, in freestyle uh, quite a bit in the two thousands. And, and uh, you know, and after uh, 2008 and, you know, I think it's getting better. I think we're some of the best rules that we've had in a long time for freestyle with the exception of that new, that new push out point. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but they're definitely as good as they've been in a long time. Yeah, the good thing with that rule, though, is it seems like it's being miscalled more in the U.S., and I say that's the good thing because I can just see, like, late in the world championships, there's going to be some call, you know, with this caution one. I hope not, but I had Miles on. By the way, Miles Amin, just salt of the earth. best One of the best. I love that guy. I love the whole family. But he said that he sees that call miscalled more in the U.S. than abroad, and, and you're overseas all the time. You guys just got back from Poland. Are, is that true? Yeah. Are you seeing it more in the U.S.? These refs are calling that, or not as much? Um, a little bit. I think early. You know, like one of the things when some of these rule changes happen, they seem to happen right before our. They always seem to happen right before our nationals or our trials. I don't know if that's by design, but it seems <laughs> like you know, like some of these UWW changes or these uh these these new points of emphasis get thrown out like literally right at that time, like end of April or in May. And then the next event we have is like a major event that's going to decide, you know, world team spots. So, you know, it's called a little different. I think it's, you know, overall, there's some, there's some things that are very different from the U S to Europe. You know, we, we just got back from actually we were in Budapest, the guys are in Poland, right? They're in Poland right now at a training camp, but we were competing in Budapest. But one of the things that I've observed, it's like a very, it's, it's a subtle difference, but it's really important. And you start to look at your training, like even at the senior level and freestyle, you know, in the U S they start calling the cautions. Um, you know, it's a lot what they view aggressiveness or, or, you know, rewarding the more aggressive wrestlers shot count guys that are shooting and attacking more. And a lot of the, the officials overseas, they don't really pay that much attention to attacks and shot count. They really look at more who's controlling the center of the mat who's, you know, really controlling center more than, than anything else. And that's, you know, that's how they really start to reward the, the, the cautions and the stalling uh, uh, calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because, and I've just given up trying to understand how they decide who goes in the shot clock and not, and you just accept yeah. it, that like someone's going on it. And it really, t- the eye test um, for most Americans, to your point is, is the Dan Gable style shots forward yeah. action. It all comes back to, yeah. I really do feel like a lot of it comes back to that style, but that's like you said, that's interesting that they don't really see it that way overseas. It's more who's staying in the center, even if you're doing nothing, but if you're staying in the center, that's, you know, you may get that call. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from our, you know, our collegiate, you know, so many of our officials coming up and watching so much of the collegiate style, which is definitely you know, rewarded more, should be rewarded more on, on, you know, attack rate and, and mm-hmm. you know, forward, you know, wrestling with a lot of action, you know? Um, so there's, I think that bleeds into some of the thought process, you know, and, and the freestyle and the freestyle officiating. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, outside of, outside of the freestyle season, you got 
so much going on. You just landed an incredible recruiting class. I want to talk a little bit about Shane Griffin because I heard you first saw him uh, as a sophomore in high school, and then here he comes, uh, you know, as a grad transfer. Talk yeah. about that process of, of first seeing him as a sophomore out in Jersey. Yeah, so I was at, uh, I think it was their sectional out in, uh, you know, it was in Bergen County. I can't remember what school it was at, but it was, you know, the sectional tournament. And um, I was there to watch some older wrestlers and uh, that were wrestling at, at, at Bergen. And, you know, and I was in the tournament, I watched the semis and the finals and, you know, and I had a chance to see Shane. I didn't know who he really was at that point, but I watched him wrestle uh, some really great matches. And, you know, when I talked to coach bell after that match, it was one of the comments I made, you know, just like I asked him about who he was, just tell me a little bit more about him. And I just said, I just see some, some really special things about him, you know, in the way, he, not, not just only in the way he wrestled, but at that age and some of them, cause he was, you know, it wasn't like traditionally like really small. He was, you know, I think back then, like, you know, four, 140, somewhere around there, but, but he still he was wrestling some of the older kids, you know, um, and, and but his composure is what really stood out to me. Just his composure through the different, you know, positions and scrambles and his, his composure throughout the match was probably what stood out the most to me. And then just some of the exceptional things he was doing on top and on the mat and the way he was competing. Um, so that was my first interaction and, and conversation with Coach Bell about him. Yeah. And then he, you know, obviously he ended up making kind of a, an earlier decision. We, one thing I couldn't tell is what weight he was going to end up at, you know, at that time, because it was hard to tell. I knew his, you know, his, his father was a, a bigger guy, you know, tall, and I wasn't sure how much Shane was going to grow. And, you know, and he made a, you know, an early decision, you know, commitment to go to Stanford. So, you know, then uh, obviously watched him, you know, while he was in college and, and, you know, obviously when, when that, all that change happened with Stanford and their program and, you know, we, when Shane went into the transfer portal, we, we were recruiting him then pretty hard. And you know, I think we got to a point where he was, you know, he was in some real serious consideration about about coming to Michigan then, you know, and then Stanford reinstated the program. And, you know, and Shane's, uh, he's just a great human and got a lot of great qualities to him. And, you know, one of those is, is loyalty. And I, I think he felt like he... You know, he, you know, Stanford meant a lot to him and he did a lot for Stanford and he was, you know, sort of the, at that point, the, the face of the program. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he made a decision uh, to stay and, and continue to wrestle, which I thought was the right decision, you know, for him at that time and definitely the right decision for Stanford wrestling and, you know, wrestling in general. I thought, you know, that that's one of the things I always liked about Shane and made me like him even more. But the third time we had to get him, you know, third time came around, we had to get him. I love that's, it. I love That's it. what I told him. I love <laughs> yeah, it. I said, Shane, come on, man. Third time is a charm. <laughs> Let's go. Man, how many? I don't know how many flights you've been out to Palo Alto at this point, but it's probably been a few. What he did that year with the black singlet, wrestling's forever indebted to him, man. That is like to put that weight on your shoulders. And you know, we lose Stanford. It's just there, you know, I hate losing the strong academic schools, and that would be such a blow. So, I mean, just what he did that year, God, incredible, yeah. man. Incredible. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, when you look at it, I can't remember if it was 11 or 13 sports. You know, it was, there were a bunch of sports. I mean, he impacted all of them. He impacted yeah. the decision for many sports at Stanford. And, and, uh, the current athletes you know, and the ones did. that come, right? Like it could yeah. be 10 years from now, someone's on like yeah. whatever sport was going to be dropped, they're there. They wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for this kid. So it's like, yeah. it's so wide reaching. 
Yeah. No, his him winning that NCAA title in that black segment segment was uh, you know, it was significant for all sports, all collegiate sports at that time and what with what was going on. So that'll yeah. that'll be a moment in uh, college sports history that'll last for a long time. It's awesome that he's there and so he's there. You got the you got some of the uh, three other grad transfers. So things are looking good because, you know, we can't forget 2022, one of the best seasons in Michigan history, if not the best season in Michigan history. But as awesome as that was, there was a huge reloading and we all knew it was coming for you guys. And so as a competitive guy like you, it's got to be tough going into that. You got to have the long term view, but you're knowing a little bit that you're not going to be at f- full strength. Not that you weren't recruiting that whole time you were, but you have a team like 2022, there's going to be some turnover, right? So is that tough kind of going into a season knowing you're not at full strength uh, as you would be kind of thing? Well, I, it, you know, it wasn't so much thinking that we weren't going to full strength. I mean, we, you know, we really work hard to develop uh, the, the upcoming guys and the younger guys. We knew we were making some sacrifices with the Olympic redshirt year. I mean, really, we, we you know, we Olympic redshirt to three of our best guys in that 1920 season. And, you know, and then COVID happened and canceled that season. And we were fortunate because we got the, all three of those guys got that year back or they would have been done, mm-hmm. you know, which happened to a lot of other great wrestlers on other teams. Uh, but what really started to happen was we were extending with the COVID years and and then the free the free COVID season. Like it, it started impact recruiting, you know, you know, just from a standpoint that we were extending the years for the guys and, you know, we were using scholarship money to do that. So we were taking guys and, you know, going five, six, seven years and, mm-hmm. you know, and it was really, you know, it's kind of bleeding into, you know, a scenario where we just didn't have the kind of money to recruit like we normally would uh, extending a lot of those years and eligibility. So, you know, I knew there was going to be some rebuilding there and, and just kind of, you know, shuffling our recruiting efforts and, and reallocating money. So yeah, that was part of the process, but I thought, you know, honestly, you know, that, that following season last year, I mean, I, I was super proud of our team and our guys and the effort they put on the mat. And, you know, I think a lot of teams thought that we were really going to have a down year and uh, you know, the guys compete the way they did come back, you know, six at the NCAA tournament. Um, That's incredible. You know, yeah. And, you know, Mason Paris having the season he did and winning the Hodge trophy, you know, it was just, uh, I thought it was a, you know, a great year, great finish. Obviously we're, you know, we're not satisfied with, with six, you know, the goal is always to be right, right in that hunt, you know, to win the NCAAs and, you know, be a trophy team every year. We were super close. It really came down to, you know, we had two challenges uh, that, you know, really swang some, swayed some points between sixth and, you know, and fourth and possibly third. Really? Um, oh, so close. I mean, that's yeah. how it is, the NCAAs, you know, and that's what makes it so exciting, you know, and, and the fans that really pay attention, or if you're a fan inside that top, you know, that top 10 or top six, you know, from a team race standpoint, that's, I think, what also makes that tournament so special and, and, and so exciting. Yeah, I mean, to get to come back and get six like that after the the blowout year you guys had, um, just amazing. And God, you look at that Big Ten title in 2022. That was that was one of the most exciting days I've had as a fan, just because we take a lot. Illinois take a lot of pride in you, Coach Bormat. Yeah. It's it was an you know the way Miles beat Brooks in OT. Oh my God, yeah. what a what a match! One of the craziest finishes. I get chills thinking about it. And then for the Nationals to be in Detroit. Yeah, wow, special stuff, yeah. man. That that was, and then the uh, the the trophy presentation at the big house that had to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, it's you know, the, 
Michigan's a special place, you know, our, our athletic programs and the success that, you know, so many of our sports have, and it's, it's really celebrated. We have great fans and just, uh, you know, athletics is really celebrated here in, in a way that is rare uh, with it also being such a, a world-class academic institution. So, you know, definitely an exciting year. You know, we had a lot of younger guys on that team that were part of that ceremony and, you know, and uh, part of the, part of that Big Ten championship team and part of that NCAA runner-up team. And those guys are hungry, you know, to, to feel that again. Yeah. And, you know, I see that with this team we have coming in this year and the potential that we have. And, you know, and, and also the investment into this freshman class coming in. You know, we have a really special freshman class coming in. I know it was, I think, second in the overall recruiting rankings. And, you know, so we have eight freshmen coming in and, Wow. You know, a lot of the things we've been doing, it's, you know, it's also an investment in, in their development this first year that they're going to be here. And I know that, you know, these, you know, the, the, the guys we have returning, plus these, you know, already very accomplished, uh, you know, four grad transfers, you know, will also have an impact on this freshman class. Definitely. Now, Coach, I got to ask, is, is Jim Harbaugh as cool as he looks? Because, man, he, I, you can't find a bigger Jim Harbaugh fan. <laughs> I didn't know anything about him. And then my dad's like, he used to be the Bears quarterback. Then he was coming up yeah. at Stanford. And I'm like, I just freaking love his personality, love his temperament. Do you cross paths with him at all? Yeah, you know, head coaches meetings, or I bump in him a little bit here and there. And, uh, yeah, he's just he's great. You know, super, super enthusiastic. You know, he loves wrestling. He really loves wrestling. He's got some great wrestling stories from when he was here at Michigan in college. And, wow. and uh, obviously, he pays attention, and, you know, when, when he's looking at recruits and, you know, guys that have a, a wrestling background. You know, our our uh, our top running back, I think he's, you know, he's obviously one of the best in the country, Blake Corum. You know, Blake wrestled uh, in high school. And, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that makes him such a tenacious running back. And I know Car Coach Harbaugh really – you know, he loves the the guys with the wrestling background. He really loves the sport. Always excited about us. You know, I get some, you know, we big duels or, you know, we win, you know, big tens, things like that. I get, I get, you know, some messages from them. And so there's a lot of, a lot of support, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of camaraderie within our coaching staff, especially for some of, uh, you know, some of us that also were, you know, student athletes here in Michigan, you know, yeah. like Jim Justin and Howard, Juwan, Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's some great camaraderie with the, with the coaches. Yeah. I never thought about how many of the coaches were, uh, Michigan athletes until you just said that that's, that's quite a few, obviously you and, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's cool because I've, uh, you know, different times in my life, I'll go down like little rabbit holes on YouTube, who am I listening to? And the one thing I got from my mini obsession with Jim Harbaugh is, he wants to attack every day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I'm like, who yeah. says that? Like, how great would that be if you could actually do that, though? It's like, yeah, yeah, God yeah. almighty. I, yeah. what a, I mean, just yeah. and the amount of uh, over the years, the amount of people that have come to me and be like, oh, Jim Harbaugh wrestled, get him on. I'm like, I don't think he wrestled as much as he seems like it. So, uh, like, we've had Coach Fickle on. Um, yeah, the, he's the best. He's unbelievable. So. But I don't think Harbaugh wrestled. But I had to ask just because uh, you guys were at the football game doing the trophy presentation, and he's yeah. the best, man. I freaking love that guy. Yeah, um, he does attack. He attacks every day like that. He really does. His energy really? is like that all the time. Yeah, his, his, his great energy. And, and if you, uh, you know, when you meet his dad, you understand where Jim gets it because his dad is the same way. His dad is wow. awesome. Yeah, awesome. But there's a ton of enthusiasm. They're both. 
you know, they're, they're, they're really sharp. I mean, great, you know, creative minds and innovative and, and great thinkers. And that's one of the things I think sometimes like, you know, people don't necessarily see that part of Jim, but he's, man, he is, he's a genius. Yeah, no, it's, it's fun to watch, man. And I'm excited to see future for those guys. And obviously for, for you as a, at the wrestling program, but coach, I wanted to wind down with this, you know, everyone sees you now you're, you're at Michigan, you've been there, you know, since 2018 is the head man, seven years as the assistant, one of the top coaches in the game before that overtime. But a lot of people listening don't know some of your high school stories. So I wanted to recap a few stats here because a lot of, again, a lot of the people listening, which has been a, a shock to me, first time wrestling parents, then they love the podcast because it gives them an insight into a sport they know nothing about. And so your, your story is, is legend in Illinois, but for folks who don't know it, you're you're part of the one of the greatest dynasties in in Illinois history, Providence Catholic. So was Mike Poles your coach from the get, or was it halfway through you got Mike Poles? So Tim Rudiger was the head coach when I first got to Providence. Tim Rudiger was the head coach. Mike Poles was the, the the basically the head assistant coach, and those two were like, you know, really, you know, I think even in coaching, I learned a lot from those two because they, you know, it was kind of a you know, flat coaching structure. It wasn't really like a hierarchy. They both did a great job and they both had really special skill sets with how they worked with and, and mentored and managed us as athletes uh, between the two of them. And then, you know, and then, um, you know, my junior year coach Rudiger left and went to Joliet West and Mike Poles took over as their head coach. Um, but I had a really special relationship with both of them. I learned a lot of different things from both of them as, a, as an athlete and a wrestler and and, um, you know, really, they were like two father figures for me uh, through the sport. And yeah. even to this day, I'm, I'm still really close with both of them. Now, I think there's a documentary in some of those duels you guys had with Marist back then, because yeah. I, from what I've heard, it was like a couple thousand people, maybe. And and this is, uh, you know, naturally ranked programs. I don't know if Mount Carmel and Bill Wick were starting to come on yet or not yet. But what were some of those duel meets like back then? Yeah, super intense. We had, you know, we had the one year, I was, uh, my junior year against Marist at home, and it was uh, it was a packed gym. There's actually really a great black and white photo of a standing room only. There were people, you know, standing up. We had a, in our wrestling room was on a, on a second floor, and there was an, an opening into the big gym where, you know, there was, you could take the mats. There was like a, a hoist system that you could hoist the mats up and down for dual meets or, you know, and, and it was open and it had like a gate in front of it. But that, even that was open. There was like, 15 people standing in that, just trying to look down into the gym, standing room only all around the mats. I can't remember, you know, four or 5,000 fans crammed into that small gym that we had and um, super intense environment. At one point there was actually up, up in the stands, you know, up in the stands with like some fans and parents, like, you know, a huge fight broke out <laughs> and they literally, they literally had to clear the benches and put the teams in the separate locker rooms. And we kind of like got like locked in these locker rooms for like 10, 15 minutes until all the pandemonium was settled down and, you know, the police were there. I mean, it was just kind of wild, you know? And yeah. I, I, nothing like no, no major injuries or anything like that, but it like turned in a, you know, kind of a big fight in the stands and uh, super close, super competitive dual meets, you know, one of those where every point counted, you know, pins counted, tech falls counted. So, you know, and, and we had that, you know, my junior and my senior year with those guys and Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel was really coming up and, we had some great dual meets at Mount Carmel. I remember, I think it was my senior year at Mount Carmel. We had, I think we won by a point. It was like 31 to 30, but it was, again, it was at their gym. 
uh, you know, in the old wrestling gymnasium and it was packed just like even their student body was standing all around that track that like overlooks mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the, the mats. And, you know, as we were walking into to the gym, they were, you know, it was, uh, definitely a, a raucous crowd. It was, uh, yeah. it was wild, but some, just a lot of fun, you know, I mean, wrestling in the, you know, the South suburbs of Chicago, um, you know, back in those days, it was, uh, about as tough and as, you know, and as competitive as it gets. And, uh, just, we had some great memories. Yeah, and a lot of it is because I'm sure you guys all grew up wrestling each other in the in the youth circuit, right? And so by the time you get to yeah. high school, everyone knows everyone. Loyalties yeah. are established. And yeah. so I guess I've never asked you this. Were you having a lot of success as a kid? Because I looked at your high school records and basically only lost at the state tournament up until the times you won it. So were you really coming on as an eighth grader and seventh grader as well? Yeah, I was. I had a really, you know, I had a great, you know, great experience, IKWF. You know, super competitive back then, obviously, and you know it was, it was similar to like similar to like what junior nationals was like when I was. Uh, I think I started my first IKWF tournament was like fourth or fifth grade. That was the first time I think that was like the youngest you could be and compete in the IKWF state tournament, but it was one one age group, one division, you know, <laughs> one division, and uh, yeah. So like you'd be fourth or fifth grade wrestling the eighth graders. I mean, it was just we didn't even think any other way. You know, if the guy was your weight. You, you were wrestling him. Age didn't really matter. Never, you know, it was never part of your thought process. Um, but my seventh and eighth grade year, I won IKBF state titles and was undefeated both those seasons. And I think that's where I really started, to, you know, really started to to excel in the sport. And you know, and really, it was one of the you know one of the reasons I made the decision to go to to go to Providence Catholic High School uh, instead of the public school at the time. Would for me would have been Lincoln Way Central. Lincoln Central, okay, because the and kind of what I'm getting at is is building the foundation of your junior year. You were on a collision course to wrestle Joey Gilbert in the state finals, and Joey Gilbert was the first four time state champ in the double A division. So back then, Illinois was two divisions, small and big. There had been um, Tim Rudiger was the first four timer, right? Mark Rudiger. Mark Rudiger, excuse me. Um, but yeah, so your jun- so your freshman year, you get to state. 36 and two as a freshman, insane. Um, lost to Ben Morris and then Bam Bam beats Morris. So back then you had to get carried through. Is that what happened? Um, no, I, I, well, I can't remember to be honest with you. You may have, because I think he, on what round you lost in. He I had can't to remember how like, that worked. The guy had to beat. I remember this because like the guy who beat you had to make it a certain, you know, distance. So it was really weird. Yeah. You'd be cheering for the guy who beat you. Um, but then your sophomore year, you wrestle Ben Morris again. It goes to OT. You take a third. And so now your junior year, undefeated, you're in the semifinals. What was the score, Coach? Before, And I don't mean to bring up horror memories. I'm just trying to bring up a really cool story about how you how you used it and came back um, here. And it, it's funny you're, because... You're, you're, going, you're going deep, I'm man. I'm sorry, it's, Coach. I'm sorry. It's, I, early, I, it's, it's only 8.30 it's early. in the morning. You're, I know. You're hitting, I'm sorry. This, you're hitting me with this. Holy cow, Warner. I'm sorry. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no. No, no it was, yeah, I was 17 to 3. And you 17 were... 17 to 3. And the semi across the board, we're setting up the best state finals potentially ever. And you get caught in a headlock and pinned in the state semifinals. And if I know assembly hall, just like when Tannenbaum got pinned, they were cheering. And Mr. Tannenbaum's like, why are they cheering? My son got pinned. And it's just that big of an upset. So (laughs) how did you, how did you, I guess that summer use that to come back and go on the terror you did your senior year, because you set the pen record your senior year, I believe. Yeah. Um, So, so, you know, 
well, you know, it's also interesting is like even my 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 sophomore year, um, I wrestled Ben Morris. And I can't remember if it was the quarters or the semis, but that match, not not only did it go into overtime, we wrestled through the whole overtime. I can't remember. I think it was like a two-minute period or a two-minute period and then another one-minute period, but we wrestled through all of it, and it was still tied. And that's when they had referee's decision. The referee would just decide who won the match. There was never a scoring outcome to decide the winner. Just a gut feeling. Yeah. Just like whatever Basically. they think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so – Ben Morris was nationally good back then too, right? Like was yeah, he? Yeah, going- yeah, he was outstanding. Ben, ben, I mean, it was so competitive. You know, really back then, like the guys that were like a little above me, age wise, you know, were you know Mark Vestelnik, Bam Bam, Sam Geraci, Ben Morris. I mean, just some some great wrestlers that all went on to wrestle. You know, after after you know high school at, at Division One colleges. I think, you know, obviously, I think Ben Ben was at uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, but yeah, I mean, great, just great wrestlers, you know, and super competitive. And I think those guys also, because they were, they were older than me when I came in as a freshman and, you know, and sophomore, and they were also, you know, these guys were winning junior national titles uh, back then. And, you know, having some great guys older than me around my weight, because I was smaller my freshman, sophomore year, those guys helped, uh, you know, really excel, accelerate my, my development and, and forced me to raise my level, you know. Yeah. Um, but that well, junior year, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I, I gave him an escape to get one more takedown uh, for the tech. And, uh, yeah, I got headlocked right on the edge of the mat. I actually, when I hit the mat, I actually bridged. And, and, you know, I didn't really realize where I was at when I hit the mat. I bridged myself more inbounds because I was right on the line. And, um, yeah, of course, the place erupted. and You know, uh, but, but you know, really, it was, uh, you know, I've said it to other people. It was a match that really, you know, if I could pick one match that, had the most impact on my trajectory in the sport. It was that match because it burned so deep. I had to make a choice, you know, I had to make a choice, you know, a lot of self-evaluation um, and just what I was going to do about it and what I could control and how it fueled the fire and me at a much deeper level, you know, and uh, how I use that situation and that disappointment to fuel me. Yeah. Uh, you know, to re- and it really accelerated my development. It started right away. I mean, I, I think, you know, right away that Monday I was in the weight room, but everything I was doing, everything I was doing, you know, was at a much higher intensity level. Every workout, every lift, every, every drill that summer. I mean, I, you know, I, I really, you know, held on to that feeling and it, it drove me uh, to, to a really high level. And this is after, if you said you were undefeated seventh and eighth grade, you had two losses as a freshman. Like you're talking five years of basically having two losses to, 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 to some really high level guys. And, and even at freestyle state the year before you had beaten Joey Gilbert. And so it's like that you were already at such a high level, but that took you to another level. And, you know, a lot of great champions, they won't watch a match they've lost. It's too heartbreaking, but you took the opposite approach. Like you watched it quite a bit. Yeah, I watched it quite a bit, you know, because I, I had opportunities in that match. You know, I was scoring a lot, you know, obviously 17 points. Where I had several takedowns to the back and I just, you know, I was really evaluating, you know, what, you know, why didn't I pin him? You know, I had him on his back. Why didn't I pin him? Was I not, was I not focused and hungry enough to actually force the pin or was I scoring, you know, kind of, because there was a point I felt like I was, I could score any way I wanted in that match. And, 
you know, was I just being satisfied with the points? You know, I could have pinned him. I had opportunities to pin him in that match, and I didn't. And if I would have pinned him, it would have been over, and I would have been in the finals with uh, Gilbert. So there was a lot of little things just, you know, from a technical and tactical standpoint, and then obviously a psychological standpoint, I was just watching and evaluating. And and to be honest, I, I you know, I, I knew that, you know, I'd been through losses before and great disappointment. And I, you know, at that point, I, I wanted that embedded deeply in me because I knew it would help fuel everything I was doing after that. Yeah. Um, to the point, my mom was a little concerned because I think at one point she got up at like, she, she heard me out in the living room, you know, at like two in the morning watching this match on a, on a old VCR. And she's like, I'm a little worried about you. You know, I don't know why you keep watching this match. Oh uh, my God. Well, it's, but it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a turning point really. Well, look at this, like now in this generation, when I feel like the expectations are so unreasonable for kids, like, a one-time state champ now, it's like, man, it's nothing, you know? But it's like, that's ridiculous to think that way because that's how tough some brackets can be. And, you know, then you get to Michigan, you go on to be a two-time All-American NCAA finalist. Um, so it's like, I just like the story because it's like so many people are short-sighted now. And like, you just, you gotta, you gotta take a step back and look at like, hey, any one thing can be a learning moment like that, right? And you talk about someone like you who could have been at a higher level at that time in the state of Illinois and to have that and come back like that. I just think it's a great story is of, of like, you know, it's such a cliche, but the most pain is where you grow the most. Right. And it seems like that was definitely the case here. Yeah. Yeah. What you do. I mean, you gotta, I think in all experiences in life, you gotta be able to evaluate and then you gotta find, you know, a way to take that experience and improve and, 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 and use that as fuel to drive you and, and as you're moving forward and, yeah. You know, because there's a lot of things outside of wrestling. I mean, that's why, you know, everyone talks about wrestling being such a great metaphor for life. And it, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's, you know, you, you face a lot of different adversities at different points in your life. And, you know, wrestling's a, a great tool for, you know, teaching you how to work through those moments and, and come out on the other side, be even better. And the the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, and you you may, this may be totally off off subject, but I saw on Instagram, you were doing like a guest lecture for a class. Um, yeah <laughs> what class was that yeah it was um it was a it's it's a class like leader leadership through coaching and um it's it's the professor for that course runs a couple different classes on you know um, you know sports history specifically at michigan you know coaching uh leadership uh you know he's actually i think he's doing a course uh, this fall on nil Mm. Um, but I've gotten to know him over the years and, uh, he, he asked if I would come in, he's had some different coaches there. He tries to get a series of different coaches and, and to talk about, you know, just leadership and, and how that, you know, with the coaching side of leadership is also applied and so applicable to business. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. It was, you know, there's some, some, you know, some, a lot of regular students in the class and then some student athletes in that class. And, you know, and it was actually, you know, for me to be a student, athlete here and then have an opportunity to go in and, and present uh, a lecture, you know, to, to a class it was a ton of, it was a ton of fun for me. And uh, it was, it was, uh, it was great, a great experience. And you're an actual entrepreneur. Like you haven't just gone from athlete to, to college coach for 25 years, you know, over time, it seems like a no brainer now, but one of the first of its kind, if not the first outside of what you saw with Ernie Monaco and the edge, like you literally ran a business for, better part of 10, 15 years. So you know that part of it too. 
Yeah, and it's funny because that was one of the things I did in the in the lecture, and one of the things I did is my in my presentation was, you know, I kind of flipped the topic and talked about how, you know, learning how to run that business. You know, I coached, and then I learned how to run a business, and I took a lot of those same principles, and now apply it to my job currently at the University of Michigan as a head coach. So I also flipped that script, and I also talked about because I talked about you know, just the, the monumental changes in Division One college athletics and how the different things I learned and how to run a business really apply so much now with, you know, I mean, in the five years I've been a head coach, I think there's been more change in Division One athletics than there were in the last hundred years. I mean, between the transfer portal and the COVID years and the extra, you know, the extra seasons of eligibility and then NIL, um, you know, there's a lot of things, building your club, fundraising, you know, there's just so many different aspects that I feel my experiences in building overtime and learning how to run, you know, a really run a well-organized business that was centered around the sport of wrestling helped me so much today as a, as a head coach and the college landscape we're coaching in now where there, you know, for a lot of these things, there isn't a playbook. So you got to, you know, you got to have, uh, you know, some creativity, be able to innovate be able to find, uh, you know, create solutions and, and create new systems. Yeah. And I think the, the one thing that comes out with every great leader is the organization. Is that something that was, was important to you when you're running overtime? Yeah. Just, you know, cause I had to think everything through. I mean, from the, the beginning, I, you know, I, I read a lot of books and I, I did have some great mentors too, but I, I had to read a lot of books about business cause I didn't go to business school. You know, I had to learn, you know, I, I just, you know, the wrestling piece took care of itself, but I did have to, you know, I had to learn about, you know, structure. I had to learn about marketing. I learned about customer service. I had to make sure that I was constantly improving all those different areas, you know, and then, and then really as it started to grow, that's when I had to start to figure out how to, you know, there's a whole nother layer then of learning how to manage people and how to organize and create systems. And, mm. you know, even then we opened up the, the second location at Crystal Lake uh, with Donnie Reynolds and, you know, learning how to create a system that, you know, you know, we could duplicate what we were doing in Naperville. And, you know, so, but, but all that learning for me and, and business, and there's so much like overlap with, with competitiveness and leadership, you know, those things I really, uh, I really enjoy and thrive on. So, you know, but it's been great to take so many of those things I learned and, and use them now as a, as the head coach today at Michigan. Well, it's awesome to see. And man, it's just, it's an honor to talk to you and have you on here and get some of your insights on, on the current state of things, freestyle. Yeah. I mean, you got your hands in so many things I can't even imagine. And it's just fitting that you're heading off to the, uh, the NCAA coaches convention this weekend. Now, will there, will there be anything actionable coming out of that immediately? Or is it more so kind of gathering and talking and planning? It's, it's gathering, talking and planning. And I know sometimes, you know, coaches, you know, coaches, you know, they get a little frustrated. They feel like there's not enough action sometimes that comes out of these meetings, but you know, it's still important. You know, it's one of our responsibilities is continue to lead. You know, we're all head coaches right now. And, you know, we got our own responsibility to help lead and make sure that, you know, that we're moving, you know, college wrestling in a better direction. Um, I think there's been so much change for me. You know, the last two years I was actually at competitions. Josh Torella went uh, to the coaches convention. You know, this year I'm back. I'm going to go. Josh is, you know, he's got a full week of uh, home visits with recruiting next week. Um, him, him and Coach Jackson and, and Coach Bulliard. So I'm going to go to the convention. Um, but there's some things, obviously, there's some, you know, meetings on NIL and the new rules. And there's just a lot of new things that, 
you know, that I'm actually really, uh, I'm really excited about getting in those meetings and just hearing others' opinions and thoughts and yeah. sharing my opinions and thoughts. And, you know, and some of us coaches, you know, obviously we all know each other. Some of us are, you know, more connected through, you know, either, you know, guys we coached before or guys we coached with before. So you know, there's a lot of breakoff conversations and, you know, and, and conversations and thoughts that get shared in, in smaller groups, dinners, things like that. So, um, but it's like anything else, you know, I'll go there, you know, try to make it as productive as I can for myself and contribute as much as I can. Um, but definitely really, really interested in, in some of the meetings that are going to take place over these uh, next couple of days. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, just I'm, I'm thinking myself, like uh, I'm in sales coach. So I'm thinking if this were a, a tech conference, I'd be there pounding the hallway. So I got to make a trip to this because like all my potential guests are in one spot for a couple days. I should be, I should be hustling those hallways. Got to get my, got to get my work boots on. Yeah, um, man. Well, it's, it's uh it's late summer, which means football starting soon, which means wrestling will be right around the corner. I can't wait for this upcoming season. I see you, you hooked up with uh, coach Han, South Dakota state for a new duel. Yeah, so super excited about that one. Love Damian Han. He's the best. Um, do you have the home schedule yet, Coach, or the the dual schedule? We have a we have a great schedule. I'm so excited about our schedule. We uh, we start. We got a great uh, road trip out east with uh, Columbia and Ryder to kind of kick off our our, our dual meets. And uh, always excited about that because we have such a great alumni presence on the East Coast and especially around New York City. So we we always enjoy that dual uh, and those those matches out east. And then we go to the Cliff Keen Wrestling, uh, the Cliff Keen Las Vegas invite. And, you know, that's just it's become the the best tournament in the country with the best field outside of the NCAA tournament. So that's always a great test and something we really prepare and you know, kind of use as a, you know, a good a good evaluation for where the guys are at, and where the team's at. And then home schedule. I love our home schedule. We got Rutgers. We got Michigan State at home, which is always, uh, you know, it's always great to stay here. And then, and then we got Iowa at home and we got Penn State at home. So really wow. a great, a great home schedule. Really excited about it. Um, you know, and then we actually, you know, we have a good, a good away schedule too. And obviously, you know, with, uh, Ohio state being in the same division, we are at Columbus. So that's, you know, that's as fun to wrestle away as it is at home. So, you know, with that, with our rivalry, school rivalry and stuff, and, and, uh, you know, they always get a great crowd down there too. So that's, for me, it's always as fun to wrestle them in their gym as it is to wrestle them home. Yeah. I mean, that's, if you're a Michigan guy, I mean, Ohio state, that, that's as big as anything, even as, as big as a Penn state is now in Iowa in wrestling for obvious reasons, but Ohio state, Michigan, that's, there's nothing better than that game. It's two days after Thanksgiving, everyone's watching it. And so for wrestling, I'm sure that carries over as well. I know it does. Um, Yeah, definitely carries over. And, you know, and then that South Dakota state, we're really excited. We've never wrestled in the state of South Dakota. And, you know, there's a group of people with, uh, you know, with Sanford and, just really excited about putting on premier events at this facility they built. And there's a place that the competition will be held called the Pentagon. And they're just really excited about putting on premier events in wrestling, MMA, even uh, NCAA basketball. Um, and, you know, spent some time in different conversations with that group um, these last couple of months and just seemed like a man, just an outstanding group of people to work with. And obviously Damien's doing a great job at South Dakota state you know, definitely an exciting dual meet and a way to start the kick off the, the 2024 year yeah. uh, for our team. So when you say Sanford, you're talking Sanford health, that group. Yeah. Yes. I had, um, Oh my God, this is killing me. Uh, I'm not even gonna give too much away. Cause I'll be embarrassed. I can't think of the guy's name, but 
MMA fighter in Florida. Samford has like a massive presence of MMA down in Florida. Massive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, I think he's one of the guys in the group is an agent. He works with a lot of the guys from that region up North and a lot of the Minnesota guys. And, um, yeah. you know, and so they've been pulling in and, and doing some great MMA events at this, at this facility too. And, you know, just, but just, a you know, it's a great group. They have great energy, great intentions. And, and they're also investing in, in these events, you know, which, you know, yeah. wrestling is so important, you know, and we continue to grow and, uh, and create opportunity in our sport, you know? Um, and so it's great to see some people really investing in these kind of events and, and, and the teams. I like how you do it too, where you build up to Cliff Keen, then you take a little bit of a break. Uh, I mean, not like actual break. You guys are practicing, but you really taper off and then kind of rebuild it like that. You've been yeah. doing that a while. Yeah, we've been doing that for a while. We've, I think we found a, you know, just a, a really good balance and formula for, you know, our peaking throughout the season and, and, you know, some, some periods where we can, you know, not that we stop training, but we deload a little bit, you know, let these guys physically and mentally, you know, kind of get uh, deloaded a little bit so they can build back up and, you know, and obviously everyone's trying to find the, the formula to peak and be at your absolute best in March. And, um, you know, and that's all part of the, part of the strategy and part of the process. Definitely. Well, coach, wish you nothing but the best. Can't wait to watch you this upcoming season and enjoy your trip to Florida, man. And again, thanks for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, Ryan, since 2019, it has been so fun to watch everything you've been doing and your hard work and success. You are one of the best. Thanks for covering our sport and helping us make it so great. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that coach. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll see you soon this year, man. I got to get out to one of those duels. Uh, it's it's a shame I haven't been. So I'm going to pick either Iowa or Penn State. And we're going to make it happen. We'll make it happen. It'll be great. Awesome, man. Thanks so much, Coach. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. To support the show, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the show at our online store at store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and stickers. That store, that wrestling changed my life.com. We'll see you next time on a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life.